Okay, let's go. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Allison. Would you like to cough up a frog in honor of our thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, fans, Judy's on sabbatical for a couple of weeks. I always wondered what that meant. It might just be playing hooky. But I don't actually know what that means either. I didn't ask because Judy gives very long explanations of anything that has a definition, and when I forget later, she gets mad at me. Here today is the person I could find to replace her on short notice, whom you've all heard from before when she offered you barely legal tips on acing your audit, Allison McKay, who coincidentally has the same last name as I because she picked them out for both of us when I was a kid. If you ask about our real names, you will wish you had asked Judy about sabbatical. Hello, Mother, and thanks for being here, even though I know you will find a way to exact revenge later. Hello, dear. I'm Robin McKay in Los Angeles. And I'm Allison McKay in New York City. This This is is The Ledge. Mother and I recently did a commercial together, which was a new experience for both of us. Would you like to describe that adventure? It was an interesting experience because having been an actor for most of my adult life, my daughter has always written something for me to say or recorded me to say it, and I didn't realize that she would be like she was before the camera, but she thought everything she was doing was bad. And you know, she wasn't really bad. In fact, I thought it turned out rather well. We'll see what you think when it comes out and you see it. Now we come to Evan Lopez, a person of multiple talents, whom we met (laughs) impersonating a hotel concierge at a place we recently (laughs) stayed. I think wearing the mask emboldened him. Later, he became our cinematographer for our famous mother-daughter commercial. He must have been good because he shot it with a phone on the edge of a glacier and we still got the gig. That wasn't a glacier. That was Vermont. But it was definitely a phone. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it turns out that Evan's secret superpower is knowing all about green things, the plant kind, you know, and permaculture. Yeah, I got a perm once. Took years to recover. Yeah, we had no culture. That's what they... Chit-chat, chit-chat. I've had enough of this chit-chat. Hello, Evan. Welcome to the ledge. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So, Evan, tell us what you think permaculture is, and we'll tell you if Wiki agrees with you. (laughs) Permaculture stands for permanent agriculture. To put it simply, it's basically working with nature to create an ecosystem or work with an already existing ecosystem while producing food. It's permanent because once you get done all your initial inputs, it's very little work after that. It's no tilling year after year and rotating crops. It's planting some fruit trees and maybe putting a log in a compost bin. There's a lot to it. Hugo culture is part of it. There's a very long-term way of thinking in which you let nature do the work for you, basically. You're not continuously shocking the soil with harmful, non-natural fertilizers. You initially probably have to do a lot of work. You might have to do some digging and some building and some landscaping and designing. But once you've got the initial setup done, 
the land does it for you, basically. Wow. I think, I think I understand that. Here's the big question I have, though. Do, if all that happens, do plants have a, a sense of humor? <laughs> I mean, I'm asking because the organic farmer types are pretty serious. They're more serious than some lesbians, in my experience. <laughs> Excluding you, of course. <laughs> I would say, yes, plants do have a sense of humor. I think wow. plants can be very lighthearted. And I don't think that... Plants really take themselves too seriously. I think they just want to live like everything else. Wow. That's beautiful. That's some kind of a philosophy. <laughs> the organic farmer types were big. You're much younger than I am and uh, like 100 years younger than Allison. But, um, <laughs> but back in my day, there were organic farmers in the Northwest, like in, I don't know, Oregon. And they were serious. But are they different than permaculture type farmers today? Yes, just having an organic farm does not necessarily make it a permaculture farm. Organic doesn't even necessarily mean that it's sustainable. You could have an organic corn farm and just have rows and rows and rows of a monoculture. And that's actually part of where I think the term permaculture comes from is its contrast to a monoculture. So monoculture is mono equals one culture, agriculture. So when we are driving through the Midwest or Pennsylvania or wherever, and you see acres upon acres of endless cornfields or soybean fields, that, that's a monoculture. And you can do that organically. You can actually fertilize large swaths of land with strong organic fertilizers, but that's not necessarily good for the planet. But they have a designation, an organic designation, which is stricter in Europe than it is here, actually. But if you are a permaculture farmer, would you be designated organic or is there something separate that they call you? No, not necessarily. So there's a few different certifications that I know of. I guess one of the most prominent that I've actually worked with would be the Sun and Earth certification. The two are are not mutually exclusive. It's kind of like a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not always a square. Like you can have permaculture without being certified. Let's say you forgot to save a receipt from 10 years ago. That could bar you from being organic certified. Evan, do, yes. do you have any pet worms? Because you, you made us read up on this. You forced us to read up on oh, this. Yeah, I, I actually used to. When I was living in Colorado, I, we had a uh, vermiculture. That's what it's called, vermiculture. Yes. Yep, we had a vermiculture. I, I helped one of the hemp farms that I worked at establish a vermiculture. And then I made like three big bins. I don't know, maybe one foot by two foot bins, three bins full of worms and great <laughs> worm poop. and. <laughs> And I ran one. By the uh, way, by the way, worm poop is called hummus, which makes me a little nervous now when I go to the hors d'oeuvres section. (laughs) Oh God! Oh yeah, this is too much information, but now I know it. You can't unknow it. But wait a second. I read about Google culture. Google culture. Which was, I think that was something I slipped in during Oktoberfest, but it's also a way to bury your wood. Yes, Mm -hmm. and that is also a form of permaculture. So it's a very good example of permaculture in the way that you're using materials that you wouldn't otherwise 
use in that way to create fertilizer, to create a very nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense soil, it's a very long-term thing because you're burying logs or maybe an entire tree trunk Mm -hmm. and just waiting for it to compost, Mm -hmm. waiting for it to turn into soil. Meaning rot. Yeah, exactly. And you can do a lot with that. You can make berms so you could build hills around your property with this style of agriculture. So, you know, you put a, a big log or several logs on top of the soil, bury it in compost, manure, and native soil, and just kind of let that form into part of your yard. And that can block wind from one direction or another. And it can also provide uh, well needed nutrients. <laughs> That's because the wind, when it smells it, is forced to turn back. It's so I gross. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. Okay, (laughs) why should we all be vegan? I want to know that. Well, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite or anything, so I'll just preface this with I'm not vegan in the way that it... Because cheese is so good, let's face it. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I've been able to stay away from cheese and dairy (laughs) Okay, this interview's over. (laughs) (laughs) But I've started eating local chicken, I'll admit. Okay, let's get back to the beginning. Is there a place to study this? How did you find out about it? Do you have serious organic types in your family? My mom started buying all organic for us when we were children. Between when I was like 10 to 13 or something, she started reading about all the chemicals that are in our food, what the FDA actually allows, and it's atrocious. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and she she really cares about her children. She's a great mom, and she kind of raised me to start thinking in that direction. And then I took it a step further and went to school for sustainability, which is a more broad category than all of this that we're talking about. But permaculture is a form of sustainable agriculture. And when I was at school, I became very, very close with my best friend and now roommate. And we decided that we want to make a difference by being organic permaculture farmers. Can we ask what school this is in case there are other people who are interested in following a similar pathway? Yeah, I went to a Colorado Mountain College in Breckenridge and Dillon. Summit mm. County, Colorado. Are you a skier? I snowboard. Ooh. Of course, Allison. Um, so, well, all my relatives are from uh, Colorado. but Yeah, you know. but back when they used to ski down the mountain on barrel slats. Yes, my to, grandmother I mean, did. They yes, didn't have right. skis in those days. That's, <laughs> that's what she right. told me. Yeah, yeah, well, they were all dead by 30. So Yes, true. So mm-hmm. Evan's got about two years to go, I'd say. Or maybe a few more. I'm sorry. We're talking about us again. That's so good. I want to know about the orphan plants, the ones that are in planters. Okay, wait. There's a preface to this. We've heard a lot lately about plants communicating with each other via chemicals in their root networks, which I'll call the planter net because I want to make something up. The planter Uh, net is good, Rob. Thank you. Yes. It's interplanter, (laughs) Oh, no. Boy, I just cracked myself up. (laughs) That stunk. But But I'm just wondering, do you know anything about that? And yeah, orphan plants, like plants that they put in tree farms, uh, where they plant only the same kind of trees and rows next to each other. They they become, I guess, more susceptible to various diseases Mm. because they don't have interspecies communication and protection. And that makes them weaker. So do you know anything about that? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I mean, not on a highly technical scientific 
chemical okay, way, but oh, come on! I have I have some stuff to say about right, it. Wait, 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 wait a minute! You made you made us read up on this, so <laughs> that's right. He's just uh, mean. Let him talk. So the way I see it is, well, this is just the way it is. Plants and fungi are a, another form of life or an expression mm-hmm. of life, just like animals are, just like we are. Mm-hmm. But they communicate differently in a way that maybe sometimes we can't fully comprehend or we try to use science to describe it. But everything communicates in a way and and everything is interconnected. You know, plants communicate with mycorrhizal root networks. So mycorrhizae is bacteria and fungi that attach themselves to the roots and create a network. And that network, it actually, if you look at kind of like a, a thermal image or something of the like of a mycorrhizal root network. It mirrors the internet, it mirrors neural pathways, and it mirrors the entire fabric of the universe. And I, I think there's there's a reason for that, and it's because everything really is connected and, and everything communicates and everything needs to be connected and everything needs to communicate in order to exist in a way. Okay. Now we're verging on religion. Wait a second. Can, <laughs> can you... True. Can you communicate with the trees? Because Robin can. I okay, let's not go there. No, <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting. She talked to the trees because we lived in a forest, <laughs> and she told them, if you've got the fall, because it's hard to get insurance once they fall. <laughs> and uh, they be, said, what's insurance? I know it. And she said, just fall away from the house. And they always did. Isn't that strange? <laughs> Maybe what they were really saying was, why are you talking to us? <laughs> You know, animals, they say, since you brought it up, do communicate via, I don't know, air pictures. My poodle used to stare at me like, why are you so stupid? Which is a thing poodles do anyway. But he was like, do I have to walk over to the AC and stare at the on button for you to turn this thing on? And also, why do we live inside? And what happened to my real mother who was not communicationally handicapped like you are? It was just like. (laughs) But I'm not totally sure what the plants talk about. But if you had to imagine, Evan, what, give us a plant conversation. <laughs> Come on, you could do it. Oh, let's see. This big-ass tree in front of me is uh, kind of blocking my sunlight, bro. That's can it. you Can you give me some, some nutrients, bro? I'm kind of kind of deficient right now yeah 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 i'm good i'm good i got i got plenty of sunlight up here sorry i can't really control it i mean i'm just a tree what do i know that's good that's the best i have i'm sorry oh darling it's fantastic that's pretty good the way i see it plants and communication and everything we're talking about here I don't believe that plants are sentient or can understand one specific word or another word or a command or a statement or a question or anything like that. But because they're more advanced than we are. We're the ones that came up with that silly crap. <laughs> well, who defines what advanced is? You know, mm-hmm. but but we do know <laughs> that they've evolved to have a lot of incredibly complex means to survive and to us maybe that looks like talking maybe that looks like a a conversation but that's just a way to anthropomorphize what's really going on and what's really going on is they're just trying to survive just like every other form of life is that being said i do wholeheartedly believe that plants can pick up on a positive or negative mood or energy actually that japanese guy oh i wish i could remember his name but i'll think of it and insert it later His name is Masaru Emoto, and he claimed that human thought could affect the molecular structure of water. 
Yeah, he did all those experiments with even like pieces of coral and plant life. Oh, yeah. I, I guess the most... Was that the, the classical most, music guy? He also or? did those, but basically he had people repeatedly think of a plant with love or think of it with hatred and the most deleterious was not thinking of it so not having any communication with it isolating it was the most deleterious to every form of life that he tested in that way that makes me really sad on the inside to think about yeah yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in, in a way, like we could think of this in a spiritual way or in a logical way. Like when I'm depressed and I notice that my house plants are wilting or something, maybe it's not that it's picking up on my depression. It's just that I'm depressed and I don't have the energy <laughs> to keep up with it. But you know, I think that there is more to it than that. One of my friends in college had a house plant you. that he put we just want to thank him. Wait, I'm not done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you totally not hear me at all? I'll send in a plant to talk to you. She just got to this party. I don't know. Party. Yeah. What was I saying? <laughs> oh, my friend Tom in college, he had a plant. It's just a little house plant, kind of a viney thing that he put on the ledge. And it consistently grew away from the light and toward his bed, which gives you an idea of the roller coaster of assignations he had coming and going and i said <laughs> it, that plant loved him robin he said yeah it Aww. had max sex energy that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know i don't know why i remembered that but <laughs> but how can you not it grew away from the light toward tom's bed come on all right <laughs> I, I have a plant too. like that. I have a cactus that's been with me through everything. It was with me when I was homeless and living in my van. And Oh, all my it's... best editors lived in their vans. Oh, tell <laughs> us about your story. I think we didn't get the whole thing. Go ahead. Oh, this is way <laughs> off topic. I feel like the time's going by so fast and I haven't been able to even talk about a fraction of what I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. But definitely to anybody listening, look up permaculture and biodynamics. Biodynamics is a separate thing from permaculture. A lot of people people buying wine now are looking for biodynamic wine oh. and I don't know if everybody really fully comprehends the label I think when you go to buy wine it's just like oh it's a way of taking care of a plant and making sure that it's treated with compassion and love and that you kind of very similar to permaculture in a way but it's like astrology for plants it's very interesting oh. yeah I think the Jainists in India are like that, too. Where did permaculture get started and when? I learned this all in a design certificate course not even that long ago, maybe a year ago. Okay, we'll tell uh, you. Australia in Australia. the 70s. <laughs> See, in the 70s. The, the you, stuff that you assigned to you us. You made us learn that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think permaculture and plant communication go hand in hand. And it's interesting that you bring it up in a session when I wanted to bring up permaculture because... In my view, I, I feel like agriculture should really go back to a style where we communicate with and understand nature instead of oppose it and kind of mimic what the plants are doing. And I mean, the benefits of that in permaculture are so far reaching from environmental to financial and even cultural and societal. And basically, if we see everything as many, many systems within a larger interconnected system, then we can go really far and, and understand ourselves and the world around us a lot better and understand why we're facing the kind of problems that we're facing and, mm. and what to do about well, them. Well, in a way, in a way, wouldn't it be full circle then? Because this is what Aboriginal and Native peoples from all over the world had always done. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, look at companion planting or, or interplanting like the Native Americans with the three sisters, which were corn, beans and squash. So basically the, the beans would fix nitrogen in the soil for other plants. And fixing just means making already available elemental nitrogen bioavailable to the other plants. So the, the beans would fix nitrogen into the soil for the squash and the corn. And the corn would provide tall stalks for the beans to climb so that they don't get choked out from the other plants. And the squash would have huge broad leaves that kind of shade the soil underneath and help retain moisture and prevent other weeds. And they did great together. And this was practiced thousands of years ago. And, and permaculture itself, it didn't have a name before, but it's one of the most ancient forms of agriculture, of feeding ourselves. What I just described can also be called a guild. So think a group or a club of plants that help each other. We can do this with fruit trees, with different canopy levels, providing shade for trees that need more shade and so on and so forth. And also plants that are pest repellents. Right. And we can do this with trying to attract native pollinators. You don't necessarily need a honeybee farm or you don't necessarily need to run a hive to attract pollinators. A really good way of doing it actually is to is just get on the Internet and they'll come to you. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was a different experience. Go ahead. Well, basically, if you just set aside a portion of your land on your farm to be completely untouched and leave enough brush and enough dead material there, native bumblebees will come and, well, depending where you're at, you know, but native bumblebees will come and nest. A lot of why they are going extinct or are endangered is just urban development and yeah. us trampling all over the ah. land. So one of the best ways to go about this life and to feed ourselves is to just leave it alone. Leave leave a certain portion of your land and nature alone. But Evan, what's your secret strategy for attracting frogs? Because they are, as we know from our research that you assigned us, as we know, frogs are some of the best slug repellents, or maybe they eat them. I'm not sure what they do with them. They turn them into hummus. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you have to have a frog attracting strategy. Hmm. Do you do a frog mating call? If so, now's the time. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. It, it would <laughs> be over. Uh -oh. It would be on on a frequency that you couldn't even hear it. Like I've I've already mastered it, and you, you just can't hear the. the oh, I see. The trees yeah. could hear it. Yeah. The trees can hear it. Yeah, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he just did it. He just did it. Yep. All right. There it was again. <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> well, what else are we missing? My motivation for all of this, and like I told you guys before. Yeah, we meant I'm, to ask that. What's your motivation, Evan? Yeah, so, good question. We all find things to help us get up in the morning and to help us continue on with our daily lives and everything like that. You know, I think every time I have had like a an existential crisis and wondered what the hell am I doing here, I've come back to this idea of just being able to feed people and mm -hmm. provide nourishment while also at the very least not damaging the environment while doing so. And so much of our food systems, our entire food system in the United States at least, is very, very damaging to the environment. Agriculture accounts for about 
18% on the high end, 11 to 18% of all carbon emissions in the United States. And that's not accounting for the energy usage and transportation involved in agriculture, just the practices alone. So when you're accounting for all of it together, it, it ends up being the biggest sector, the biggest impact on on climate change. And there's some things that we really have no control over just because we have to feed so many people, but there's a lot that we do. And it does involve rethinking our entire paradigm, like how we think about how we produce sustenance. We're not against nature. We got to work with nature. It's, it's just, it's a way of thinking. We're running out of topsoil, and the UN says that it could be as little as 60 years yeah. when we run out of viable topsoil. And that means death for like everybody. That That's not a, yeah. a hyperbole. That's, that's literally what that means. And we're running out of time. Exactly. Uh, yep. And permaculture is a way to not only save our topsoil, but to rejuvenate it. You know, like last summer, I worked at this farm in Buena Vista, Colorado, or as the locals call it, Buena Vista, because the German guy that found the place (laughs) didn't know how to pronounce Buena. He said Buena. So Buena Vista, Colorado. It was called Brighter Farms. They're a great place, great people. They have a great CBD product. And basically, it's the desert. It's sand. Like, it's, it's inhospitable to most crops. And just using permaculture methods, using natural methods of farming, we were able to rejuvenate an entire homestead sized area of soil. And like I said, once you do the initial work, like we had to auger by hand 250 holes, it was grueling work. But once you do that, once you get done the first few seasons, you have an ecosystem that works for itself. You know, like that soil that we repaired, that we built spread it spread on its own further underground, creating mycelial networks and mycorrhizal networks. And it wasn't as much work the next year for them. Mm, that's fascinating, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, it's, it's very important. Thank you, dear Evan Lopez. That was a Broadway geek reference. Right? <laughs> thank you, dear Evan Lopez, for putting up with us. And also teaching us useful permanolage. Yes, we are hyper-oxygenated for sure. Best of luck in your future careers. And ours, of course. Well, he did perma-camera his way into our careers, too, you know. (laughs) T-I-C, that is correct. Mr. Lobus is versatile and possibly has access to exotic chemicals. But he wouldn't put them in the soil. I'm sure he probably gets gets them out of the soil. I expect that, yeah. Well, see you, E.L. Next time I'm ready for my (laughs) close-up. Do you want to attract people to annoy and write you and complain? Look up how to homestead or look up how to grow your own garden. And that's what we need. We need more individuals growing their own food. That's what we need. It could solve so many things. Great. So we should have a garden like the mafia capos who grew tomatoes out the side. Oh, my gosh. Remember Uncle Frank? Oh, That's God. Cappy, actually, Cappy. Oh, tutti Cappy. I yeah. can't believe I've lost my Italian secret. You All see right. my tomatoes? <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's what that guy who put you in the chorus line used to say. I know. He it? said, you'll never be a big star because you know got to know tomatoes. That's right. <laughs> a good closing. Bye, Evan. All right. Thanks, Toot. guys. Thank you. Bye. All right. Talk soon. Toodaloo. Ha, 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 ha.